The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod, proudly brought to you by SJP World Media. I am Sai, and joining me as always, what I normally say on a journey back and forth through time and space, etc, etc, etc. But it's a bit different today. We're going nowhere. We're just answering a few questions. It's Mr. Dan Griffin. How are you, sir? I'm not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Exciting to get Can't talk, apparently. Excited to get into something <laughs> a little bit different. Um... It's a little bit out of sorts this season. You know, through one thing and another, it's nobody's fault. But it's, we've been a bit all over the place, so we thought we've uh, our, our guest sadly couldn't make it this week, and we decided to go along uh, sort of an, an, an AMA Doctor Who inspired route, haven't we? We have, uh, we have, and very quickly, I want to say thank you so much to everybody who has sent in questions or thoughts or whatever. I mean, when Dan and I discussed doing this format, uh, pretty short notice, not going to lie. I think I put the tweet out at like midnight last night, and we're sat here now at you know two o'clock on the Sunday, so it hasn't been a long amount of time for the uh, questions to come in. I was a little concerned and, and thinking, you know, are people really going to give a shit about what we think about anything? You know? Yeah, it's always, it's always the it's always the, it's always the danger, isn't it? Because we 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 get some you know we get some great tweets and, and sort of discussion points raised by uh, by people who listen week to week, and you know I love that on Twitter. But you know throwing it open to uh, to an AMA or for people to to get the thoughts in is always sort of fraught with danger and can very easily go wrong. Yes, indeed. But our listeners, our the, the people who follow the podcast and so on. They have not let us down, Dan, have they? We have got an absolute stack of info and questions and so on to get through to the point where pre-recording, we kind of discussed going about an hour um, and some of these may not get answered this week. If we get to all of them, fantastic, but we don't want to rush any because we want to get there's some there's some here that, you know, we can probably fire through quite quickly, but there are others that are potentially longer talking points, which we don't want to you know skirt over i suppose i'll do them the justice that they deserve for the people sending them in so it may be a case of we do a follow-up on this and complete everyone's questions or something along those lines isn't it yeah pretty much you know we'll, we'll, we've set a rough time limit um, because i think we've all listened to these types of, of podcasts before and i think you know we think about an hour issue is probably uh, about you know about as long as i'd want to listen to something like that for and then also it uh, it gives us something else to do because uh, we always like talking about random doctor inspired stuff don't we mm, we do indeed we do indeed see what i did there sadist yes hey. yeah, I, very 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 clever um <laughs> that was so uh, condescending <laughs> it was <laughs> pat on the head um, for you I will dive into Twitter and in true chain wrestling live fashion, I will read them out in the order they came into us. Within reason, obviously, depending on when I saw them. So in any random order, I suppose, is the way it actually works for me. Some of these I'm going to need your guidance on as well, Dan. Because, for example, this very first question, anything relating to the ins and outs and the workings of New Who, I sometimes have a little bit more, a bit more of a grey area for me. 
Yeah. Uh, the first one we have comes from Andrew Brain. That's at HTN Antiques on Twitter. And they ask, do you think the Chibnall years will ever be reassessed by the fandom? Now, I understand the Chibnall years are not viewed upon very favourably by, should we say the majority? I think it's safe to say, isn't it? Looking at conversations on Facebook and Twitter and so on. Yeah. But at the same time, I can't name you when the Chibnall years were. <laughs> so... so uh, yeah, so the Chibnall years are basically from 2016-2017 to, um, to, to present, basically everything we've seen up to Power of the Doctor. Okay. Uh, so that, I believe, include, I think that was Jodie Whittaker's entire run, effectively. Um, I think possibly the latter end of Capaldi, but I'm, uh, I'm sort of working off, uh, working off memory here, so it's... Uh, it's a little bit, a uh, little bit hazy. I think, uh, I think Ch- uh, Chibnall took over from around. Yeah, it was just behind, just after the Christmas special in 2017. So effectively, we're talking about the Jodie Whittaker era. Okay. And I think it will be reassessed by the fandom, and I think it's already happening. Um, and we've actually done it ourselves, to be quite yes, frank. I was, was going to say you mentioned the Whittaker era. I look at the Whitaker era as being more favourable now as we're re-watching and discussing it for the podcast than when I watched it initially when it aired. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. It'll As time goes on, you know, it, everything gets looked at with more and more nostalgia. It's just the nature of entertainment and, and particularly, you know, Doctor Who is such a long-running series. And it will come across... And, and sorry, come around to being viewed more favourably because there was a fair bit to like in the Whitaker era, and we, we you know, we've we've touched on it already. Uh, I don't think we've watched a a bad episode or even really a mediocre episode in uh, from, from the Whitaker era so far. Although we have been quite selective, I think, in what we've watched, and you know, we covered we covered Power of the Doctor twice, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um- the big thing for me with regards to the, the Whitaker era, I guess, is how... I'll, I'll, use, a, I'll use an episode um, as an example. The, the Rosa Parks episode. Mm. I think that's a fantastic premise. But I also think it's incredibly difficult. And I, I see it a great deal with um, another show that I adore that I podcast about called Quantum Leap. Whereas if you're time-travelling, and you go back to a historic event that's real, people can look at the history of, such as mm. the Rosa Parks situation. I find it incredibly difficult. Well, I, I take it as being incredibly difficult for a TV program to really do that justice, but stay in the context of the TV program itself. Mm. What I found with the Rosa Parks episode, and again, as an example, because I think this is a running theme for Whitaker's time, it's a case of there's no massive subtleties there. It's a case of racism is bad. And it literally slaps you across the face with it. Whereas in other eras of Doctor Who then, there's times where the lesson they're trying to teach is taught in a way that's a little bit a little bit smarter, maybe. It, effectively, what, what it sort of boils down to is Doctor Who in the Russell T. Davies era, let's say, um, it just it it led you to the solution. It 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 brought you along and said so. All right, so it demonstrated it. It showed you. It didn't tell you. 
mm. why you know why X X Y Z whatever point it was trying to get across, and yeah, I think that the Rosa Parks episode I actually remember being very good. Um, I've not watched it since it aired. To be perfectly honest, uh, I will be going back to it. The one that gets me is the. Um, the like the, sort of the intergalactic spa where they've got a spa set up on a dead planet. Okay, yeah. And there's there's the monsters outside, you know, the 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 outside of the outside the domes all, you know, it's it's unsurvivable except for these nuclear monsters. And it was Earth all along. Mm, or the yeah. Praxis or the Praxis episode where it was the whole thing was about plastics in the ocean and the dangers of that and, and all the rest of it. Um a touch heavy-handed, you know, etc., etc. But I think we've sort of loosely discussed this before, and it's obviously the differences in in the way that uh, the various white writers want to portray things, and the showrunners like Chibnall and Russell T. Davis, you know, want to put the point across. But I think, particularly with the environmental um, aspects, in the times that these have been aired, it, you know, it is getting more and more desperate. The environmental crisis we're seeing it with the heat waves across Europe now, and I think looking back, that will then, you know, in years to come, that will then be seen as more of a stark warning and a sign of things to come and treat much more favourably. Okay. Potentially. Like, obviously, we're speculating about the future, so um, I could be entirely wrong, but it, what comes across as heavy-handed now in five, ten years' time, if, you know, if the planet's still boiling, then it may be viewed as subtle. Who knows? Yeah, that's a good shame. That's a good shame. Uh, we have Glenn Abbott uh, at GA WrestleNet on Twitter. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, if I could just say part of the Fantastic A Work in Progress podcast, who uh, very kindly uh, shout us out every week, Glenn himself. Um, thank you for coming along for the ride, mate. It's brilliant. And go and check out everything they put out. But particularly for me, if you like um, British wrestling and the old style sort of round system, their, their Cup of UK Heritage series, looking at NXT UK's um, Heritage Cup has been fantastic. Okay, brilliant stuff. I'll have to make sure I check that out. Uh, Glenn says... How do you guys feel about the 60th anniversary being three standalone episodes written by three different people, although all directed by Russell T. Davis? Um, from my standpoint, I like the idea that we're getting three different standalone episodes because it's better than one. And uh, you know, in the past, with you know, like the Five Doctors, for example, and, and other specials, it tends to be a one-off, doesn't it? So having three mm-hmm. separate ones, I quite like. Uh, I love the fact that David Tennant is... I know it's not always that popular online. People, Some people are moaning and bitching about it, but whatever, everyone's entitled to their opinion. But I love the fact that David Tennant is coming back, and it's purely a selfish standpoint, because I'm a big Tennant fan, and Charlie, my youngest, adores David Tennant. But we've never watched Doctor... We have never watched Doctor Who live as it aired together, because she's been doing her catch-up and so on since, it, since it's been off-air, so to speak. Mm. So this is amazing that her favourite Doctor is coming back and we get to watch it together three different writers i I don't see a problem with that because i mean from i suppose you can look at it one a couple of different ways if it's standalone stories i don't think there's a problem that you have three different writers if it's one story continuous and you have three different writers that may cause it to be a bit clunky a bit misjointed but three separate standalone stories three different writers i'm okay with that because if one sucks you know, you can tune in next week and it's different. Yeah. 
is my mindset. What do you think, Dan? I'm absolutely fine with it because it might be three standalone episodes, but Russell T. Davis is still the showrunner and he's still going to be calling the shots on how, you know, how people play things, how things, how lines are delivered, etc., etc. And we don't know what kind of brief that the the writers have been given, because with it being Russell T. Davis, it, to my mind, it, it it always feels like there's going to be some element to link them that we'll probably only figure out in the final episode. Right. So while three different people may have written these episodes, there could just be a sprinkling of Russell T's ideas or concepts throughout that he's then getting to realise as he directs. Mm. And, you know, obviously being the, you know, being the director and showrunner, he's going to have a view on these scripts. So I don't think it, it makes a difference. I don't think it, it's essentially a microcosm of being the showrunner initially, although Russell T. Davis did write a lot of it. You know, he wasn't the only person. I think in the one that springs to mind is Mark Gatiss of, uh, of League of Gentlemen fame and Sherlock. Yeah. He, wrote a, he wrote a large number of, of Doctor Who scripts, certainly from the, sort of, well, maybe more from the Marthy year onward, years onwards. But, you know, he was always sort of around and about. And I'm sure there's more writers that, that you know, that I'm forgetting because obviously I'm, uh, you know, I've got memory like a colander. But um, I don't think it'll be a problem. Really happy to see Russell T back. Um, I don't think he could do the 60th without him because he was so instrumental in bringing Doctor Who back in the first place. Uh, same with Tennant, popular, you know, taking Doctor Who from already being popular with Eccleston back and then just absolutely skyrocketing it. Mm. Um, I was a bit on. I was a bit on the fence, and if we can use a wrestling parlance, a bit smarky when he first came in, thinking it was, you know, maybe partially bringing David Tennant back is just a bit to appease the uh, the naysayers of Jodie Whittaker. Okay, um, and also because there would inevitably be the the gammony arsehole response of oh we've had a woman doctor now we've got a black doctor okay um, yeah that did that has crossed my mind that david tennant's then you know sort of there to appease the more twatty side of the fandom okay well but, sorry to interrupt but on that note then dan playing devil's advocate here mm. is that a bad thing because I'm not saying that people who think that way should be appeased in any way, should be, you know, we should have the worries about them, as you're describing. But at the same time, you tend to find people who are of that mindset have the loudest voices. Mm. And people with loud voices, whether you're right or wrong, tend to influence more easily led people around you. So... I, I suppose the way I'm looking at it is this is the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who and I'm taking Doctor Who here as, as a as a snippet potentially for um, society in general. It's the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who. Times have changed so much in attitudes towards uh, sexism, race, whatever, since 1963 till now. However, it's still not where it potentially should be. And I liken it to, and again, I'm going to steal a wrestling term here, but I liken it to how long it's been that these certain mindsets have always been. Yes, Doctor Who's always fought against them, of course, but how, how, how certain mindsets in society and the show we have seen ourselves has been. It's more like turning a battleship than stopping a, a pushbike. 
Mm. It's a slow process to win people. And if you do it all at once, you run the risk of alienating some fans to appease others and so on. Having that, uh, I'm trying to tread really carefully of how I word this, but have, having that, shall we say, for want of a better phrase, and buffer of David Tennant between the first lady doctor, which is groundbreaking and important and should be done. And then the first black doctor, which is again, groundbreaking, important, should be done. Having Tennant back for a couple of episodes, just as a little buffer to ease the transition for those who are a little bit more, shall we say, stuck in their ways. Is it maybe again, playing devil's advocate, a clever step by the producers? Well, what I was going to finish my point with <laughs> okay, is... <laughs> sorry, I just wanted to let you go see how long you'd go on that. <laughs> um, oh, I could have kept going. <laughs> yeah, I know you could. Um, no, what I was going to say, what I was going to finish my point off is, is say that people of that mindset will likely turn off after tenant after tenant goes anyway. You know, like you say, it's, you know, you're turning a battleship, you're not, you know, you're not flipping a coin. Um... So they may turn off anyway. And I don't think Russell T. Davis would actually actually sort of counter that and, and, and bow to that sort of mindset. Um, it just basically, it's just basically seeing now how it fits into the narrative. Because we've already had it dropped in by Tom Baker's reappearance as the curator about the Doctor revisiting, you know, some of the old favourites mm. in terms of the, the Doctor's faces. Um, so while it was a point that, that sort of popped into my head once I'd thought about it for a bit longer, I realised that Russell T. Davis, given his history with Doctor Who, wouldn't be bothered about, you know, any any sort of antiquated opinions, shall we say. Okay. Um, and it was probably me just overthinking it. Yeah. To be quite frank, because... You know, get, getting a bit too in my own head. Because what I should just be really excited about is that we're getting Tenon back. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and And Donna and, you know, and I will cry when I see Bernard Cribbins on screen. Yes. Because I bloody love Wilf. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that's the route I was I was going to go with that. Sorry if I sorry if I made if, sorry if you feel like I made you waste your time with the uh, the devil's no, advocate no, no. question. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, again, I, I look at it from a very selfish standpoint. Uh, and the same as well, I suppose, as to when Whitaker was announced, and we had that 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 pretty cool um, kind of mini reveal, I suppose, on the BBC. It was like a, a, a kind of walking through the field, and you saw the hands, and then the, the hood comes back, and it says introducing Jodie Whitaker and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I look at YouTube videos of young <laughs> girls reacting to Whitaker's reveal. And I genuinely brought a tear to my eye. I was genuinely emotional seeing these young girls celebrating that Whitaker was uh, the, the, the doctor was a girl. They they they're like they're, they're no longer you know just cast as a sidekick or a companion. They can be the doctor. These young girls. Mm-hmm. And then I look at it from an even more selfish standpoint of sitting there and watching Whitaker regenerate into talent and Charlie's reaction. So if people don't like it, fuck them. Um, it's kind of my <laughs> that's what it boils down to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Uh, we have another from our good buddy Andrew Brain. They say, "Do you think Moffat's run would have been better if he hadn't been doing Sherlock at the same time? 
Do you think his story arcs had a tendency to get lost and overcomplicated? Uh, again, I'm going to have to throw myself upon uh, your knowledge here and say Moffat's run dictates which doctors, which time period, and so on. So Moffat's run started in January 2009 with Series 5 and went right up to January 2017, so he had eight years. Wow, okay. Eight years of Moffat, which sort of spanned the uh, basically the Matt Smith era and Peter Capaldi. Right, okay. Um, I think part of the problem when judging the Moffat era is that you are comparing it to Russell T. Davis. Just rightly or wrongly, we had, we had four years of Russell T. before who gave us fantastic, intricate storylines, sometimes with things peppered throughout the season. You know, Harold Saxon springs to mind, yes. that even spanned into Torchwood, you know, in, in bits, in subtle little ways. Um, so you're comparing a sort of master craftsman to somebody who's still, you know, very good, like upper echelon without being elite, so to speak. Um, there was there was some dross throughout Moffat's time. Um, I know you you weren't as critical of it as me, but Vampires of Venice springs to mind. But you know, for every Vampires of Venice, you get a God Complex or uh, Vincent and the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think. A point you've raised many times, which I do kind of agree with, is that the threat, sort of the end of season threat, felt like it just had to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, where do you go from here? You know, the, the doctor. What was it? The um, the reality bomb when Tennant was in ch- was uh, still the doctor, and, and Russell T was in charge. You know, that's they're trying to take down the entirety of reality. So then in uh, you know, in Matt Smith's first series, the then, you know, the TARDIS is exploding and damaging time and existence itself. Um, it maybe was a bit bit more meandering, and it's really difficult to, to judge somebody else's workload, mm-hmm. especially since I've never watched Sherlock. Oh, I, I have, and it is fantastic. So, from what I've heard of Sherlock, it's brilliant. But it also had much shorter uh, runs in terms of, you know, four episodes per story or whatever. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's <clears> absolutely <throat> fantastic television to the point where I would recommend it to pretty much anybody. It is superb. But mm. I wonder, because some of those stories are, I wouldn't say overly complex, but there's obviously a lot of swerves in them and a lot of uh, sort of surprises and twists and turns and so on, which aren't easy to come up with. Mm. I guess maybe Andrew's point is, was he spreading himself a little thin, potentially, doing both shows? I don't know. Potentially, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a lot It's a lot on your plate. Or maybe Moffat's strength is in doing uh, a shorter, limited run. Okay. You know, doing, doing a four-episode story with, you know, with a defined, you know, so he's, he can get in a beginning, middle, end within, say, four hours. Right. Whereas this, with Doctor Who, you have to go across maybe 13 episodes, or 16, and you have to have some episodes telling one story, a two-parter here, a one-off here, you know, Monster of the Week here, which is obviously more difficult to structure, mm-hmm. especially if you're wanting to tell an overarching story, you know, something in, you know, even sometimes in the background, sometimes at the forefront. 
So I think if, if I'm being generous, I think he's I think that's the best way to, to, to sort of put it. He's better with a limited run telling one story than an entire series telling multiple stories effectively. Because yeah. he's, he's got, okay. he, he wants he wants to he wants to tell a story in a certain way and have all these clever twists and turns and you know are they dead are they not what's the mystery etc cetera, etc cetera. so maybe that was just it um, and I, I do think there was possibly an element of unfair criticism uh, given the fact that he was having to follow um, follow Russell T you know you, it's, you you're a Man United fan no, nobody really wanted to, wanted to be the one that followed Alex Ferguson. No, no. <laughs> but don't. I, I'd have given it a go. They would throw the money at me just to say that. But you know, we'd have, I'd have been sacked after three weeks. But never mind. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, my my big thing with that whole Moffat run is just Amy and Rory bullshit. I'm not a fan, as people know, and that kind of hindered my, my the first time watching the Matt Smith stuff. I really struggled with that, and I got to a point where I stopped watching Doctor Who. It wasn't a conscious decision. It wasn't a, that's it, I'm no longer watching that. Like some, you, know, you see some of these people protesting on the internet, bloody idiots. But it got to a point where <laughs> Saturday night would come round and it didn't, it, I'd be doing something else and I'd literally forget it was on. Yeah. And if, if it's got to the point where I'm getting distracted and forgetting something I love is on, then that must have been really bad for me. And the Amy and Rory stuff was so stepped away i suppose from what i'm used to or maybe not even what i'm used to what i like with regards to the doctor and his relationship with the companions and so on but that's just me that's just a personal thing so yeah it was often difficult to tell who was the third wheel yeah yeah i'm sure we'll come on tomorrow about amy and rory soon yeah i expect so uh andrew bryan again asks was the original russell t davis run really the golden age many seem to think and do you have high hopes or reservations regarding his return? I think we've already kind of answered that about our answers to the questions we've already given, because we have praised it a great deal, haven't we? We have, yeah. Um, and it may be rose-tinted glasses, because, you know, looking back on that on that first series, the uh, the episode with the Gelf uh, that we've covered, uh, I believe was it, last, it was last season, wasn't it, we covered that? Yeah, that was with, um, with Benny, wasn't it? Yes, um... I enjoyed that more watching it back for the show than I did watching it at the time and, and subsequent okay. watchings. So, you know, there is the odd misstep, but I think mm. I think it really was because the Russell T. Davis era brought Doctor Who back to the screen, uh, you know, brought revived a British institution. It then gave us Torchwood, which got off to a bit of a slow start, but became fantastic and I still maintain that Children of Earth is five of the best hours of television you could ever, sci-fi television you could ever watch. Okay. So, you know, we're getting spin-offs, we're getting, you know, we're, we're getting some stories that to this day, I think, hold up against anything. Like, I, I can't wait till we do the uh, the Satan Pit two-parter. Because I absolutely adored that. Right. Um, and, you know, we got... <laughs> David Tennant became became an institution within within an institution. We've not had that since. Mm. You know, I know, I know. Yeah, Moffat took over with Matt Smith. A lot of people love Matt Smith. I love Matt Smith. I think he's fantastic, and, and I've 
and I've grown to love Capaldi after watching, you know, watching things back since it first aired. But whether it's nostalgia or whether it's just because it was that good, I do think that in terms of modern Who, the the Russell T era is is the golden age. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, the fact that there's so much excitement about his return to me would dictate how highly you've thought of the initial run is because you don't celebrate the return of something shit, do you? No, no, you don't. I've just had a thought pop into my head though as well. In the Russell T era, he got to do a lot of things first. He got to be the first person, he got to be the first showrunner to bring back the Daleks. He got to be the first showrunner to bring back the Cybermen. You know, he, he had an open book on to introduce new villains like he did, you know, tell a story like he did with the um, uh, with the empty child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that maybe worked in his favour because he had the scope to do it. Writers nowadays, while you know, while you've got the you know the infinity of, of time and space to work with, in a way that makes it kind of hard because you're going to have to come up with all these ideas and not be seen as derivative. Mm. You know, you don't want to tread on any toes. Yeah. So. I think that helped. Yeah. No, no, I agree. I agree. At Tom the Publican, they ask, I was going to be base and ask for hottest companion. <laughs> and then they put a little asterisk and at the bottom it says Jenna Coleman. Ah, oh, Clara. But I'm better than that, <laughs> Tom says. So Are you favorite... really, Tom? Are you really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. It's Clara. Uh, so, <laughs> favourite, least favourite reoccurring villain. Ooh. That is a tough one. So when when we say recurring villain, we're we're looking at the classics. So we're looking at, I'd say we're looking at Daleks, Cybermen, Sontarans. Sea Devils. Uh, How many many episodes did the Sea Devils actually appear in? What, in Classic Who? Well, in in general, yeah. In Classic Who, you had one, two, probably three or four stories. And then, but yeah, okay. So we'll go Sea Devils, uh, Ice Warriors. Yeah, the Ice Warriors were in, were in a few, weren't they? Yeah, a um, bit more modern, but I'd go with. I'd have to go with Weeping Angels. Yeah, the Master, of course, as well. The Master, yeah. So if we go with those seven, okay. Favorite and least favorite. Um, for me, the least favorite is probably the Sea Devils. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, purely because I've only seen two stories with them in, and. I wasn't a massive fan of the... The first one I saw was actually, I think, the Whitaker episode, uh, the special where they came back, you know, with the pirate ships and all that. I mean, it was fine, but it wasn't one of my favourites. And then there was the... Uh, the was it the Pertwee episode that we covered? Yeah. yeah. Which was... it was. I remember it being decent in places, but didn't blow me away, so I'm probably going to go Sea Devils there. But it, it's close with the Santarans, though, because I've, I've never seen anything that's blown me away with the Santarans either. Mm, okay. Although I did like Strax. Yeah, but that was more of a comedy standpoint because he is. Yeah, but he's still a Sontaran, so it counts. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, so are we are we agreed on Sea Devils then. Yeah, man, the Sea Devils went, and again, it's it's rose tinted glasses time, isn't it? I suppose when we had the reveal of what was coming up in those last few specials for Jodie Whittaker's time. And the Sea Devils were spoken about. 
I got crazy excited and I turned to yeah. my wife and I was like, holy shit, the sea devils are back. Oh my. And I got, I got really excited about it. Mm. Then I watched it and I was like, they're a bit crap, aren't they? <laughs> you know? So crap. I went back and watched sea devils stories. And again, they're all right. The Pertwee one's decent enough. Uh, I believe there was a Davidson episode I watched that I quite enjoyed. But again, yeah. I could quite happily not see a Sea Devils story again. Mm. Yeah, I get that. I Just get that. stupid long necks, mate, I think. <laughs> what a weird yeah? thing to get what a weird thing to get all all wound up about. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean the, but then I look at the Sontarans and I think they've got no neck and I'm not too fond of them either. So it's not <laughs> I don't know how we're friends then, because I don't have any neck. It's morphed into chins and shoulders in my shoulders. <laughs> and covered by beard. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, the sea devils. It's just the fact that when they run, it looks like their heads are going to fall off, I think is a bit, is what upsets me a bit. It's got that pendulum effect. Of, whoop, yeah. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Yeah. I get that. I get that. Um, a favourite then. Because if I'm going to say favourite, I have to go with the one that genuinely scares me. Or scared me when I was younger. And it's the Weeping Angels. Okay. But the caveat on that is they've got one massive turd of an episode. Right, which one's that? It's it's the it's Amy and Rory's final episode. Oh yeah, that is bullshit. Where they've got how the thing is, the whole concept of them is brilliant. They just zap you back in time and feed off the potential energy, they, they let you live to death. Really, really smart idea, and done brilliantly in Blink. Mm-hmm. And there's even bits in um, I can't remember what the episode's called. Amy and Rory's final episode, where they've got the the smaller ones that are, that look like cherubs. Yeah, and you know they're, they're trapped <laughs> in that basement. That's that's creepy. And the idea of them farming humans in a hotel mm-hmm. is brilliant because it makes so much sense, and it's evil. You know, they control where they can control where they send you back. And they'll just zap you back into that room. And it's almost like a perfect prison. That's terrifying mm. as a concept. And then they go and make the Statue of Fucking Liberty a giant a giant angel. Yeah, that's a bit over the top. Again though, it's that thing of getting bigger and bigger and bigger and the scale just goes up and up and up. And where do we stop? That kind of you know? Mm. Yeah, but I still I still have to give it to the I still really like the Weeping Angels. Um although I'm gonna say another point that might be talking myself out of it when they became in the flux they became transport. Yeah. Effectively. That was a bit weird, but it all gets a bit overcomplicated in the flux though, doesn't it? Yeah, I need to watch it again, you know. I really do, because I like that kind of emergent storytelling, but I need to give it another go around to freshen it up in my mind. But I think I'm going to stick to my guns and say Weeping Angels because they genuinely scare me. Fair enough. Uh, for me, I'll see if you asked me this back when Who rebooted and say the first series of Eccleston or the second series of Tenant, I'd have said Daleks and Cybermen all day long. Mm. But now I'm at a point where I think that how impressive and scary and iconic the Daleks are, for example, has mm-hmm. kind of been watered down of how much they've been used and how often we see the Doctor defeat them. Yeah. 
but at the same time, it's still a fucking Dalek. It's still, you know, what, what, it's, it's as iconic as, you know, Tom Baker's long scarf, the TARDIS, whatever. It's 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 that thing, isn't it? It's the it's the Daleks. Mm. But I mean, I, the Daleks were right up there for me just because of the history of the show and how important they've been. But every time the Master returns, yeah. It just blows my mind. I think I was my brain was just going down a similar, similar route because just as you were talking there, I was thinking about you know the couple of the disappointments of the you know bits of the Weeping Angels. I don't think I've ever been disappointed by a master appearance. No, and the reveal as well. You know, with um, the, the the new I can, I can never remember the guy's name. The the new master, the um, Sachidawan. Yeah the reveal of that and then when missy turns around and says i can hardly keep keep calling myself the master now can i and just oh. absolute tv gold as a who fan that is fucking brilliant so the fob watch for Derek jacoby as well and then regenerating into john sin yeah and john sin was a fantastic master as well i think they've been cast so well in new who as well oh, classic who as well I mean, Delgado was amazing. Anthony Ainley, a little bit camp at times, a little bit over the top, but we've not seen a bad story with him yet, I don't think. Yeah, and that's, again, as long as it fits the situation, that's not a bad thing, because a lot of people don't like Sacha Dawan's master, but I think he's a great foil for Whitaker's Doctor. Yeah. As, we, as we've said many times on the show. Yeah, really good stuff. I probably would have to go with the master, but it's one of those scenarios, again, of if you ask me tomorrow, I'll probably think something else. Yeah. Well, do you know what, then? I think we should lock it in for today and today only. We have to go with um, the Sea Devils as the worst and the Master as the best. Yep. Great shape. Great shape. I'll go on board with that. Uh, next up, we have BP from AWI Pod at AWI Pod. And they say, where do you recommend a non-Who watcher start? Should they start with old Who or new Who? So I'm going to take that as being, they say, they say a non-Who watcher, someone who's never seen it before. Where do they start? Old Who or New Who? Interesting. So I'm going to cop out on this one. And I'm going to relate it back to my sort of personal experience. I wouldn't say start with the movie, because that's where mine act- my Doctor Who fandom actually started. Okay. Uh, maybe build up to that a little bit. But I would say start with the first Eccleston episode. Mm. Because... It gives you, it gives you a nat- it's sort of a natural starting point, but you have enough questions if you want to go back and watch the classic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's all entertaining enough that you can start from Eccleston. You get a bit of mystery, you get a bit of intrigue of, it, of his background. If you like that stuff, because you know we're looking at things that are oh god, eighteen years old now. Sorry, existential crisis moment. Um, <laughs> but if you know, if, if you can, if you can handle TV from eighteen years ago, you really enjoy it. You, you, you can appreciate those stories. Then watch the Eccleston bit, go into Tenant, and then maybe think about looking at the background and going into the delving into the uh, the classic stuff. You know, or if you're a completionist or you want to do it chronologically, by all means, try and go from. Uh, from the very first episode, but whatever you do with classic Doctor Who, just keep an open mind, bear in mind that it was 60 years ago, and just be a bit gentle with it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I'm, I, I totally agree with that. I'm Again, talking personal experience, 
I've been lucky enough to, as I mentioned pretty much on every single podcast, and I'm never going to stop, so if people are getting tired of me talking about it, I don't care. But I've been so lucky enough to go back and watch all of New Who with Charlie and experience it with my daughter and so on. It's been, it's been wonderful. It's been a highlight of my, my fandom. She adores Doctor Who. Absolutely loves it. Uh, she watches it every single day, especially now we've changed around upstairs in our house and she's got a telly and an iPlayer and all that sort of stuff in her bedroom and so on. She watches Doctor Who every single day without fail. <laughs> and sometimes just one episode. I mean, when she first went into her bedroom, she, I didn't see her for the day. And I was like, what have you been doing? And she said she's watched nine episodes of Doctor Who today. So it's just she is that. And it is, I kid you not, every single day for months and months and months and months. Yeah. However... I sit her down to watch Classic Who at 13 years of age when she's watching all these clever videos on YouTube and TikTok and all these other programs of wonderful special effects and so on. And she struggles with Classic Who because of how it looks and how it's sometimes acted as well. I think that some people who are especially younger people i think who are in this particular environment that people are growing up in now may struggle with the format of classic who i mean mm-hmm. for example the war games is a fantastic story but it takes you 10 episodes to get to the point yeah you know yeah, dalek invasion of earth is is another one. dalek invasion of earth we watched is six six episodes seven episodes, whatever it may well be brilliant story but there's so much filler there I feel that certain people, for example, with Charlie, it's, it's black and white, it's acted in a certain way, and it's long. You're going to lose her interest quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Now, when she's older, maybe different, I don't know. But then I say when she's older, you, you, you have my, my wife, for example, who in, is, a, is a passing Doctor Who fan. She'll watch it with me because she knows I love it. I put Classic Who on. It could be anything, you know, from McCoy down to Hartnell. She'll look at it, roll her eyes, and go upstairs. <laughs> it's just it's just not for her so i i agree with you i think just by going by those personal experiences i think that you who is probably the place to start yeah and then when people are invested and because the, the thing we say about about classic about old who all the time is you've got to ignore the ropey special effects sometimes the bad acting and and the other aspects of what affects this program being as old as it is and just focus on the stories they're telling and judge it. And that's how we try and judge it on this show, isn't it? We judge it by the mm. story as opposed to what it's what the story is wrapped up in. And we have had some incredible stories where the set wobbles, the bad guys blatantly made out of bubble wrap and tinfoil and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And then we've had other stories in Classic Who where the effects look incredible. The makeup on the aliens are amazing. The special effects are spectacular. The war is lit, it's produced well and all this sort of stuff. But the story shite. Mm. I mean, there's so much who out there now. It is really up and down, not even from the start of the show till now, but from era to era. So I think with regards to new fans, starting with new who is probably the best way of going. Just to sort of get them, get them invested. Yeah. No, of course I'm not going to agree, going to agree with you because I said the same thing. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, Connor at Connor Knows Footy on Twitter. He says, couple of questions. Who is your favourite new Who doctor? We'll start with that one. Oh, uh, Tennant. Yeah. It has to be, it's, a, it's a basic answer. And on, on certain 
certain days. I could say Smith because I have a real soft spot for a lot of those stories. Um, but it's got to be Tennant. Okay. Uh, I will go Tennant as well. Definitely Tennant for me. And uh, which doctors would you have on your five-a-side team? Oh, now this is a good question. And Matt Smith so, used to play mine. Matt Smith's a good footballer, isn't he? So yeah. I'd have him straight away. I'd have him up front. Because uh, we saw his footballing prowess in uh, the episode The Lodger. That's with right. The yeah. insufferable James Corden. Um, although I, I, I pr- I'd like to put a shout out for um, Sylvester McCoy because I imagine in the centre of midfield, he's, he's a proper little nippy bastard. Yeah. You know, Tapping tap people's ankles and you know not, not giving them any space, you know? I'm going to say John Pertwee in goal. Ah, oh, yeah. The martial arts, mate, his reactions be lightning. Yeah, reflexes. Yeah. Reflexes. Uh, so we've got Pertwee in goal, McCoy in the middle, Smith up front. We need two big bruisers for the defensive duties, surely. <clears throat> I don't know. Do you know what I'm going to say? Go for it. For one of the defenders. Troughton. Okay. Because... I think he's one of those. He'd be one of those players who will go on the pitch. It'll. It won't look like much physically. It might, you know, maybe a little bit of a tummy, funny haircut, right? Not really taking it seriously, and then would absolutely rinse everybody. Okay. I've just got that feeling of him, and it'd be a bit. He'd, he'd have a few sort of streetwise tricks up his sleeve, you know. No, you know, it'd just he'd be going for a tackle, and he's oh, sorry, I just caught you with my studs there, you know. Yeah. Potentially, you know. Nasty. It basically, if, if Les Kelly was a footballer. See, I w- I'm going to throw out a name for the last position then. I'm going to check out Colin Baker just because that's spiteful <laughs> side after he's regenerated. <laughs> you know, the physical, the physicality of it. And, and Baker, I think, would he'd be an organiser as well. He'd be chopsy and mouthy and he wouldn't be afraid. Out of all the doctors as well, his time was the most violent. So mm. I think if it kicked off, you know, down the local sports centre, playing five a side, everyone starts shoving each other, he would not be afraid of wading into that, would he? In that case, then, I'm going to park Troughton. Okay. Because I don't think we need two defenders, so I reckon Pertwee in goal. Colin Baker at the back on his own. Okay. You've gone for McCoy in midfield and Smith up top. I think we need Tom Baker as the other midfielder. Okay. Because he's just fucking insane. Yeah. <laughs> We're basically putting together the Doctor Who five aside Wimbledon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Although, and although Hartnell, maybe... Hartnell would be the, uh, the, the, the manager. Coach. Yeah. That's yeah. how I see it. Actually, do you know what? I'm going to suggest we drop McCoy and put Jodie Whittaker in. Okay. And your thought process is. Whitaker's doctor always has something up her sleeve. I know that's a trait for all doctors, but particularly Whitaker, I feel like Whitaker got put into some, you know, hopeless situations. The, the, for some reason, the one that springs to mind is from Power of the Doctor, where they're handcuffed above those acid vats and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I reckon that translates into being a sort of Tiago player who can pick a pass. Okay. Yeah, I'll get on board with that. Picking the lock, so to speak, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'll get on board with that. Also, never fucking stops running. That's a good point. Good engine on Whitaker. You could say, you could say <laughs> that. You could, you could say, yeah. You could say that about Tennant as well, but I, I don't know. Tennant's doctor, I don't think he gets stuck in enough. 
Yeah, he'd be a bit he'd be a bit lightweight for playing middle of the park, wouldn't he? Yeah, I think if you're gonna play if you're gonna play tenant in any way, you need more like a uh, more like a futsal thing, you know, where it's more about the trickery. Yeah, yeah, that's a good shame. I like the way that we've really, really analysed this as well. Hey, for, for anybody who's listening to the uh, the UTT side project on putting the territory, knows how far I can go into analysing stuff that's actually just mad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, up next, we have Glenn Abbott at GA WrestleNet on Twitter. And they say, I'll throw another question in. If you have the time, you are casting a new doctor and master from the WWE roster. Who are you having? I'm assuming he means current WWE roster. I would guess so, but I've got a shout out for the master from previous rosters, to be honest. As soon as I I read that question, I couldn't... I was trying to think about who could be the master. And one name popped in my head. And since then, I've not been able to think of anyone else. Mm. It's Jake Jake Roberts. Ooh that talking slowly because to me the master the big aspect of the master is how the, the communication the, the dialogue from the master is what sets the master apart from other bad guys i guess the the intelligence and so on jake roberts to me ticks those boxes okay so if we go so we'll, we'll do a past and a present if you like okay because i will go along with jake roberts as the master i think that's brilliant but then to counteract that you need and, and for the doctor in general, you need someone who's a bit wild and a bit madcap and a bit a bit crackers, but also actually very competent. Roddy Piper. Ooh, okay. Roddy yeah. Piper is the doctor. Jake Roberts is the master. That works for me. I'm having yeah. that. That works for me. <laughs> That's great. I, I kind of don't want to do a, a, a current roster one now because I know it's not going to be as good. Yeah. Um, uh, main roster, uh, roster now. Let's have a think. It was the, it was a massive shit heel. Mm. Bit of a left field choice, but the master is hyper intelligent, very sneaky, can talk people around to whatever he, he wants them to do. Paul Heyman. Ah, brilliant. Yep, that works. <laughs> and I suppose you could have a shape just purely because of the dress sense and the kooky way of acting and so on uh, for Seth Rollins as the Doctor oh I can see it he's you know he's very pertwee <laughs> in the way he dresses he's, he's just always a bit of a knobhead yeah he'd be, in fact, Baker, he'd, doctor. yeah he'd be Colin Bakey <laughs> <laughs> we're not we're not gonna start likening wrestlers to all incarnations of the doctor. That's gonna take far too long. That's a separate podcast. Yeah. Um The only person I can I, I keep going back to in my head and he wouldn't be a, he wouldn't make a good doctor, but he's over at shit at the minute is uh, is LA Knight. But no. He he wouldn't be a good doctor. Um it's, it's really difficult at the minute because I'm I'm not massively in on uh, on WWE. Oh, I, no, I I've, I've got it. I've got it. Very much the same way as I picked Roddy Piper. Bit crackers, high energy, but eminently likable. Sammy Zayn. Ah, uh, yeah, that works. He's got Sammy, Sammy Zayn. Yeah. 
Yeah, Kevin, I know that. Kevin, Kevin Owens is the, is the sidekick. Yeah. Exasper- exasperated at all the running. <laughs> I'd throw Bailey in there as well, just because I like to look at her. Um, <laughs> Actually, yeah. Bailey would be a good master. Yeah. Bailey as a heel is fantastic. Bailey being be oh, Actually, Charlton? No, nah, Charlton's a bit bland to be the master. Mm. Asker would be a good Doctor Who villain. Yeah. Yeah, but not as the master, as like just a you know monster of the week kind of alien overlord kind of thing. Yeah. Right, we, we will get into a wrestlers as uh, as Doctor Who characters thing one day, but that'll take a bit more prep. Um, on a wrestling note, actually, I've had a, a question DM to me uh, by my brother at Cam Griffin oh, okay. at, at Cam Griffin ninety two, who would participate and win a Tardis on a pole match. Well, there's only two options there: it's the Doctor versus the Master. <laughs> yeah, because Daleks can't climb a pole. Yeah, I remember that one of the, one of the I can't remember if I've told it on this show before, but I was watching Dalek with my dad when it first aired, and he got so annoyed that Daleks could fly. Yeah. I remember you saying that. <laughs> he was so annoyed. He's like, no, it's not right. They don't fly. <laughs> saying that, a Cyberman would be good in, in a pole match because they would just literally bend the pole with the strength of their hand. They would have to climb jack shit. Oh yeah, it could be it could be heel versus heel. It could be side the men versus weeping angels. Could have a whole battle royal type pole match where everyone's in there. <laughs> One representative from all the villains just yeah. trying, just trying to get it a tardis on a pole. Yeah, that'd be spot on. <laughs> only for the, only for the only for the doctor to be lowered from the ceiling and just get in and piss off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, kid. It's it's a quick answer, but it, it, for me, it's the doctor versus the master. Yeah, that'd work for me. That'd work for me. Uh. Magnificent Matt Lewis at the Matt Attack UK. He says, and there's a few here. These are the ones I mentioned. We're probably going to sort of just uh, quick fire through because they're um, similar kind of vibe, in your opinions. And I'll just do them one by one, Dan, and we'll quick fire through them. Yeah. Wor- worst and best companion in terms of believability. Uh, when you say quick fire, uh, I've, I've just drawn a blank. Uh, worst companion. From what we've seen on the show, it's probably the best yeah. way of doing that. And for me, it's Chameleon, hands down. Fuck that, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be Chameleon. <laughs> I agree. I, I, was trying to, I was trying to in my head make a case for Donna Noble, but I've actually grown to quite like Donna. Yeah. So, yeah, so worst is Chameleon. Uh, best. This is so difficult, best. Yeah, because there's, there's, there's people. Clara. <laughs> in case you hadn't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. Um, how about that? I edited myself, so you didn't have to. <laughs> um, yeah, but Clara, we've said before, the whole problem with Clara is that she was that she was introduced and then she's instantly the centre of the Doctor's world. Yes. So that annoys me. Clara doesn't get that for me. Um, Ace from a nostalgia standpoint for me. Hey, do you know what? I could, I could go along with Ace because I, I really do like Ace. Um... Oh, I'm trying to think. We've the of Perry every time we've seen her as well, haven't we? Yeah, but Matt, the, the key thing is, is Matt's put in terms of believability. Right. And it's kind of why I'm, I'm skirting around sort of Perry Ambrose for the same reason. They've just been mm. picked up out of nowhere. You know, young people don't know, don't necessarily know shit about shit, but they've both got time to have the, the to sort of grow into 
the life of the doctor mm-hmm. and, and actually, you know, and, and build the skill set and whatnot. So I'm actually, do you know what? I'm going to go with Rose. Okay. And, it, and it's from the standpoint of we got to see with her, we, we saw her from being picked up, knowing absolutely nothing, facing all the dangers, and then warming up to the lifestyle. And then as, as time went on, she had more and more to add. Yeah, I got on board with that. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah I think that makes sense. Wasn't, wasn't quite quick fire, but let's go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, worst and best doctor in terms of believability. So I suppose that would be who we believe as the doctor the most. Yeah, who, who sort of who's the most believable character? Um, I mean, are we talking just new who or? No, no. In Matt, I think he means the entire run. Okay, so I think that's incredibly difficult because I think every doctor is believable in their own way because they play the doctor in their own way. Yeah, and it's it's an incredibly difficult question to answer without being ageist. Mm. Yeah, because a lot of for the amount of running around and capture avoidance and and traipsing through planets and jungles, I don't really think that's believable for Hartnell. From what we've no. seen, Miley's no. age, you know. So I was probably going to have to go Hartnell on that one, and the best in terms of putting across that they are a time-travelling alien with you know, an almost infinite amount of knowledge. <sighs> See, I'd like to throw a shout-out for Eccleston, purely because mm. I was mad into Who when it was on in the 80s. And then when it restarted, I was excited, but I had my concerns. And then there were moments during Eccleston's quite short run that I was like, yes, that's the Doctor right there. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I could go along with that. I was also going to give a shout for Matt Smith. Okay. Because in terms of his portrayal as the Doctor, you can believe that he has seen some shit. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. effectively, well, that, that's his whole thing, isn't it? Uh, they put it that way in the 50th special, you know, the, the man who regrets being tenant and the man who forgets. Mm-hmm. In in Smith because he he's been through so much since the time war, and he's got all this baggage and whatnot, and yet at the same time he's still trying to be. You know, he, he's believable as as both the grizzled, you know, sort of. I'm trying to find the words, but it's old head on young shoulders. Even though he's not yeah. young, you know, he looks young. I think he, he spans that really well. So I'm actually going to throw I'm going to throw one out there for Smith. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, worst best adversaries in terms of believability. Um, with regards to believability, I think that's going to be a difficult thing to answer because we're talking about aliens and robots and all this sort of stuff. I have an, I have an, I have an answer for the best. Okay. In terms of, in terms of believability, if, if we take that as meaning the most plausible, Cybermen. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, great. Because I've, the whole ethos I've, of how they're designed and made, yeah. Yeah, because they're the most, you know, I fully see, you know, it's easy to see a future where humanity effectively cannibalizes itself and, and, and goes for a, a robotic a sort of immortality. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, worst, well, I don't know. I suppose the sea devils again, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and this one is going to be tricky and maybe save for another day. Best and worst TARDIS interiors. I love the classic old white TARDIS from the from from the eighties, but I love the black and white version of that as well. Triton's one is great, even though it's literally just a picture of the round things painted on the wall. Um, but in in New Who, I'm not a fan of Whitaker's TARDIS. It the big, it's a bit clean. Thing. Yeah, and the big yellow thing in the middle that look, that goes up and down. It reminds me of Sharon's lamp that she's got. One of these, these <laughs> lamps. It's like, it doesn't quite work for me. Uh, but I liked Capaldi's because of the big balcony thing. So we could do those big sweeping talks as he runs around the top and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, well, I really like Capaldi's. I'm going to, but I think because it it was the, the interior that sort of best fit the Doctor for me was Matt Smith's. Okay, yeah, because it was all a bit weird and yeah, all, all a bit mad, all a bit kooky. You know, there's buttons that don't look like buttons and and devices that don't look like they do anything, but actually do. I really like that. Um, worst, it's hard to say because I can't fully remember the differences between between all the classic uh, interiors. A lot of them are quite similar, to be fair. Yeah, so Tom Baker had a wooden one for a while. Can't probably be that then. I've not seen it, but um, <laughs> but think, yeah, I might go along with I might go along with Whitaker's, but then I really like the um, the the paneling and the walls on Whitaker's sort of console room. I okay. thought they look really good, but yeah, for the sake of argument, we'll go along with that. I might revisit that question. Also, I want to shout out like any time we see a bad guy, Tardis, so the Master, the Rani, because they're great. Yeah. Yeah, I do like that. Yeah. Doctor Who Home at Doctor Who Home 1 on Twitter. They ask, what are your desired dates for the 60th to drop? Uh, if I'm uh, being selfish tomorrow. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being, I suppose, nostalgic, the, the 23rd of November would be perfect. That is the literal 60th anniversary. But I think that's a midweek day. In this this year, so that's not going to be much good. So I'm, I'm I'm guessing. Well, we've got three of them, so you can have one before the twenty third, one after the twenty third, I suppose. I would like. Well, there's there's three episodes, so yeah. I would like either the first or last one to wear on the twenty fifth because I want it to be on a Saturday. Yeah. Because that's what Doctor has always been for me. So then uh, the eleventh, eighteenth, and twenty fifth would be great. Or the twenty fifth, second, and and. 2nd of December, 9th of December. However, is one of the specials going to be a Christmas special? I I think no. there's a Christmas episode with the new Doctor. Right, okay, so that's fine. So, yeah, it'd be good to do something like the 11th, 18th, 25th. That'd be great. Um, but who knows, you know, they might actually sticking it on the 23rd. Because, you know, what, what's really on midweek? Hmm. And then you're not, you know, if you move it away from from Saturday evening, you're not clashing with any potential sporting events or anything like that. Well, Champions League football and so on will be back on the, by that time, wouldn't it? Yeah, but not on a Thursday. Oh, no, true, yeah, true. That's, that's Europa League, the Liverpool. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's... Let's go 11th, 18th and 25th. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and finally, Christopher Lewis at Chris Lewis thirty seven on Twitter. They ask, "What are your favourite elements of Jodie Whittaker's Doctor? Do you think she deserved the hate thrown at the show during the Chibnall era? 
I personally really liked the 13th Doctor. What would you like to see from the upcoming RTD2 era? So uh, we'll start with the Whitaker question first. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to start with the second question first. Do you think she's... Oh, right, let's do it your way. <laughs> Get fucked, Si. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you think she's deserved the hate thrown out of the show during the Chibnall era? I'm starting with this one because it's the easiest answer. No. No, she didn't, know. Absolutely not. Uh, Favourite elements of Jodie's Doctor... Um, the interactions with uh, with Sasha Dowan and, and the master and the master. I've said it before in here quite a few times. I think that brought out the best of both characters. I yeah. really do. Um, the it's something I'm sort of coming round to. The I, I quite like it when we get an insight into characters' thought processes. So when Jodie Whittaker goes into these moments of talking out loud but rationalising through it, and we get to see you know, her going through the solutions and trying to find the answer. I quite like that. I've come around to that. At first I was like, mm, not sure. But absolutely love it now. It really works for me. We, we've criticised before the, the sort of constant upbeatness and positivity um, of, of Jodie's doctrine. That's, that's, the way it's, that's the way it's written, the character's written, and the way she was directed to act. That's not Jodie Whittaker's fault at all. But the flip side of that is when Jodie Whittaker is allowed to get serious, it makes those moments, I hesitate to say say more impactful, but it makes me sort of cherish them more looking back now. Yeah, it's a bigger contrast, I suppose, to what we're used to, isn't it, with regards to the the sort of happy-go-lucky, cheery aspect, I guess. Yeah, I'm coming across as a real miserable bastard with these answers, and, and it's because I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Sam, before I hog everything? Uh, my favourite aspects of Whitaker's time would be, uh, well, Bradley Walsh, for a start. I thought he was yes. an absolute star, and I thought he absolutely... The, the best companion of her time by an absolute mile, and John Bishop coming in, I feel he suffered greatly because of who he followed. And I think that was a shame for him because Bradley Walsh was so good. Mm. Um, not in the way that this may appear at first take, but one of my favourite aspects of Whitaker's time as a doctor was her leaving because of the way it was done. Not her leaving itself, but that final mm. episode was fantastic. Oh, power of the doctor. Yeah, exactly. Um, I also get a little bit of a silly kick out of any time that Jodie Whittaker's doctor would say something referencing her being a man formerly. Mm. And it would just be tiny little throwaway comments where she referred to herself as a man and then go, oh, no, damn it, sorry, woman, keep slipping up on that one. <laughs> yeah, literally just one tiny throwaway comment or, or, or no that kind of aspect to it i always got a giggle out of that that always made me laugh so yeah that, that was quite and, and again i agree I, she didn't deserve the hate at all that, that was that wasn't down to her she did very well with what she was given i think yeah and to, to delve into sort of individual episodes as, as we covered on the show the haunting of villa diodati the power of the doctor the, both of those were fantastic everything with the lone cyberman uh towards the end of a run and from what I remember of it, again, I need to, I've said before, I need to rewatch it, but the flux was sort of a unique event. You know, it was, yeah. it was almost a return to the, the old sort of six parters, except it was, you know, each one was an hour long. So, yeah, I think leading back to 
sort of looping back to the question we were asked before about whether the Chimney is going to be sort of reassessed and looked on more favourably. Yes, and we, we've come back around to do it with the last question. Yeah, and the um, the flux is something that you and I have spoke about previously, haven't we? And said that that's going to be something that we can't pick and choose one episode here, one episode there from it, can we? We I think we're going to have to look at that in its entirety over the course of a couple of episodes for the podcast. It's going to be at least a three, it's going to take at least three episodes of a series. Mm, yeah, so that's something we'll have to look into about when we can schedule getting that done. Uh, so what do I want to see from the Rus- uh, from Russell T. Davis's second era? More fantastic Doctor Who, quite simply. Yeah. I'd, same as with anybody running the show, I just want it to be the best it can be. If we go back to what we call the golden years of, of, of Eccleston and, and whatnot, brilliant. But I think we all need to be very careful and not judge it by his pre- by Russell's previous work. Mm-hmm. Because there's no way it's going to be the same. Um, I've heard rumours of, of uh, again, this is this is all allegedly because I don't know the facts of the matter or anything like that. I've heard bits and pieces about John Barrowman being problematic, shall we say, uh, for for sake of, of being vague. Uh, but I would love to see Captain Jack Harkness come back to the show. But I'll preface that by saying I need to look into the bits and pieces that he's accused of. So take with, take that with a pinch of salt. Mm, yeah, fair enough. Um, I agree with you. Just, just I want to watch Fantastic Doctor Who. I don't care who writes it, who produces it, who stars in it. If it's good, it's good. And that's all I care about, really. Yeah, basically. Just want good TV. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Uh, one question we did not cover, and that was intentionally on our part because we discussed it away from the recording, uh, from Andrew Brown asking, John Nathan Turner, hero or villain? Uh, this is something, uh, don't worry, Andrew, we've not ignored it, we've not forgotten about it. This is something Dan and I are going to dive into probably a, a, in a lot more in-depth, maybe have its own bonus show at some point in the future. But yeah, we've not forgotten about it yet. Don't you worry, my friend, that is going to definitely get looked at. But we uh, tried to keep this to an hour, hour and a bit today. And that will require a much longer look and answer and discussion. So we're going to potentially look at that on another occasion. Um, Dan, I've had a wonderful time doing this. I thought this was really good fun. As of I, mate. Yeah, it was a nice, a nice little idea to throw out to throw out there to to the listeners. And thank you so much to everybody who got involved and and meant we could uh, we could put out a show this week. So on that note, I guess we don't really know where we're going next week. I don't really guess what we're doing. You know, it, it is planned as yet. We know what we've got to get done for the rest of the series, but everything's a bit up in the air with regards to guests and, you know, time and so on. But don't worry, there will always be something coming at you from SJP World Media, Doctor Who wise. We'll always try and figure out something out. Uh, Dan, do you have any idea about next week or are we just winging um, it? We are slightly winging it. What I can tell you, it will be either a Capaldi story, a Tom Baker story, and least likely one of the specials, uh, but we're still figuring things out. Um, it's actually the uh, the Capaldi side of things is something I was going to talk to you about off air. Maybe just have a, a wee little planning meeting after the show. Okie doke. Yep, no worries. We'll do that in a sec. Uh, before we depart, then, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find your good self and all the brilliant content you are involved in, please? 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21. I'm going to spare the usual spiel about what I tweet about because we've had we've got a little bit of an upcoming change into uh, my other podcasts. So the main show is Unbooking the Territory at UTT Podcast, where we look at the first and last of professional wrestling. Uh, the side projects. Uh, unputting the territory where we look at the uh, the Gator Golf series, the only time a wrestling belt's ever changed hands by a legitimate sporting competition, uh, and unbooking the Tankatory, uh, where we look at the life and times of the hardest man that ever lived, Mr. David Tank Abbott. In the coming weeks, they will be coming to an end. So keep an eye out on the social media feeds, uh, and we'll be letting you know what's coming up. We are moving on, keeping it vague, because uh, I don't know when Rob plans to work, uh, so drop the bombshell as it were, but we will be moving on to uh, a look at another person who could be looked at one of, as one of the hardest men that ever lived, and then something completely different that will culminate in us watching the highest rated, in terms of people watching, television match of all time. And it's probably not going to be what you think it is. Fair enough, exciting. Looking forward to that, mate. Looking forward to that. You can also hear me on the volley. Um, of course. Coming with, uh, with, with the magnificent Matt Lewis and, and anybody who deems to drop in. Our first live stream went out at the time of recording last Thursday. Myself, Matt and, and Connor from Connor Knows Footy, where we're breaking down all the transfers. Uh, we're going to be doing live broadcasts and, and commentary for uh, for Premier League games and Champions League and, and whatever else crosses our path. So keep an eye out uh, for all of that as well via the excellent SJP World Media. There we go. And there we yeah. Anything I'm involved in, you can find via the aforementioned SJP World Media. So make sure you are following on Facebook and Twitter at SJP World Media there. And the YouTube channels, Twitch channels, and all that good stuff for all the live content that comes at you, including chain wrestling, uh, in the corner with Benny Mac looking at WWE modern day, the volley, as Dan just mentioned, looking at all uh, your football coverage there. And all sorts of podcasts and shows coming out via SJP World Media as well. Wrestling, TV, film, music, so much going on. Make sure you're following it absolutely everywhere. Make sure you like, subscribe, all that good stuff so you don't miss a single show when it drops. But most importantly, you can find and follow this show on Facebook and Twitter. And that's at the Doctor Who pod, at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D, at the Doctor Who pod. Dan, I think we should do another one of these because that was bloody good fun. Yeah, go on then. We'll throw another one out soon. Yeah, thank you to everyone who asked us questions and got in contact with the show. We appreciate you so, so much listening and getting in contact and the interactions we have. Uh, again, that's kind of it, really. Thank you so, so much for that. I will speak to you next week, my friend. See you soon, buddy. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. I don't even have anything dirty to add on the end this week. There's no just dirty end. Just like knobs or something. Okay, kids, can you? Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> Russell T. Davis, how they want to go about You've muted yourself, mate. My finger slipped on the keyboard, and I have no idea how I did it. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> brilliant. <laughs>